episode 28 of the Front Porch Podcast. Uh, we got a great one here with my friend, Lisa Swartz, who is running the Divest the CSU campaign project. Lisa, how are you doing this morning? I am doing excellent. How are you, Paul? I, I'm just swimmingly. So stoked to talk to you about what's going on. So tell us a little bit about what this project, what is, uh, what's Divest the CSU? What's being divested? Right. So we are calling, maybe not calling, requesting and recommending for the CSU, um, California State University, all 23 campuses to divest from fossil fuels, primarily from their endowments. Sweet. How, what's, what is, um, why do we have to do that? Yeah. So, I mean, that could be a really long answer, <laughs> but the, the heart of the answer is that it's a really effective and important action that we can take, um, to prevent the worst effects of climate change. And it's a really important way that we can raise our voice to continue really the stigmatization of the fossil fuel industry and call attention to their culpability for being so responsible for the crisis that we find ourselves in now and may find ourselves in in increasing degrees um, in 10, 20 years that really threatens <laughs> just about every sector of our lives. <laughs> so, I mean, not to get not to get too doom and gloom because I really have a lot of hope that we can pull together and avoid the most disastrous effects of climate change. But I see divestment as a really important um, step CSU can take that we have not taken yet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so before we get into, because I do want to get into some of the doom and gloom and some of the nuts and bolts of, you know, what are the most severe ramifications of our actions if if this these sorts of these sorts of trends and these sorts of stigmatizations don't don't occur. But I also want to get into how did you get involved in this or get engaged in this uh, this sort of work? Yeah. So. I just graduated from Cal Poly um, about two months ago, December, and during fall quarter, I was thinking about what I wanted to do after graduating because I did not want to jump straight into the nine-to-five world, we'll call it, and I was fortunate enough to kind of be able to take a break, um, at least for a few months post-grad and I really wanted to do something that I wouldn't have the time to do once I started working like really take advantage of that time in some significant way and I've always been interested in environmental causes probably just had like a really good (laughs) environmental education program at my elementary school or something (laughs) because maybe my mom recycled enough like (laughs) I don't know I've always been stoked on the environment and I was really just thinking like I saw this poster like six years ago when I was 
a senior in high school and I was touring Colorado College and it was a poster that was like, why hasn't Colorado College divested from fossil fuels yet? And I like didn't even know Hmm. what that was or what that meant. But I was like, that's interesting. Like, what does it mean that they're invested in fossil fuels? And so I kind of did some more research this fall on it like what it what it really means like what what the investment in fossil fuels is and there's been divestment campaigns at a lot of other schools like across the U.S. and across the world and I was like oh I'm sure like the CSU already has a divestment campaign and I looked I tried to google it I like tried to search on Instagram (laughs) and I didn't see anything and I was like oh shit, like, this could be me. This could be me. (laughs) Sweet. So, and now here you are. So what does, what does divest the CSU consist of right now? And what is the hope as far as where this, this project will take you and will hopefully take the whole CSU system? Like what's, uh, what's going on? Right. So I really just started this effort a couple weeks ago and I kind of like reached out to some people about it um, about a month ago, but so far the effort mostly just consists of me and a few other students and professors who are stoked about it, but we have our first general meeting um, in about a week and a half on Monday, February 8th, 6 to 7 p.m. I'll give you all the deets. But that's, that's where we are right now, is about to collect more from a group of scattered individuals into a strategic group that has specific goals and is taking specific actions. But ultimately, the biggest prize would be that the CSU Board of Trustees passes a mandate that all CSU campuses have to divest their endowments from fossil fuels because that is the group that could make that decision for every campus. And that would just be like 23 birds with one stone. (laughs) Our strategy really is to, you know, pressure the board themselves as much as we can, but also to work at all these other levels, like the levels of the individual campuses. So that would be passing a resolution in support of divestment in the Cal Poly ASI student government or in the Cal Poly Academic Senate or, like I mentioned, the Cal State Student Association or the CSU-wide Academic Senate, all this stuff, you know, put op-eds in the newspapers, stuff like that. Basically just make enough ruckus (laughs) that the CSU Board of Trustees decides to do that. Yeah, this sounds like a sort of classic example of building power from the grassroots, just getting all these actors sort of on board with your mission and generating, I don't know, a great deal of attention where the pressure cannot be... uh, cannot be ignored, which is very interesting in the context of all the things happening in the stock market this week. Have you heard about all this, the GameStop meme stocks and all these sorts of things? I did hear about that a little bit. The the Reddit people. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like there's this great big power that's, you know, the financial interests of the country that sort of control the machinations of the stock market. And then all these Redditors are like, oh, my gosh, we can subvert their will on betting against these unsuccessful companies and make them lose a bunch of money just by all of us sort of doing the same thing at the same time. And here we are, a very similar strategy to work against the interest, uh, the interested powers of the CSU endowments, which I think is just great. Yeah, no, I think it's so cool to realize as ordinary people a power that we didn't even know that we had. <laughs> but I really am trying to think about it not as us against them, but really something that can help all of us. Because I really do think it's in the best interest of the CSU, of the endowment board, of just just everyone involved. And so that's really the message that I'm trying to communicate is like, hey, like you and I, we're on the same team. Like we all want a happy future. We want the best for our university. The top goal is the CSU Board of Trustees will pass a CSU-wide mandate for every campus endowment to divest from their fossil fuels. Now, what is an endowment? Good question. So the endowment is a fund that is mostly comprised of donations to the university. So the last document I saw, the Cal Poly endowment is about $360 million. And so it turns out that usually less than 5% of the endowment is actually used for programs at the school each year. And the rest of it is invested in order to supposedly grow that fund and to make even more money for the school. So they're not just holding $360 in cash in like some basement somewhere. (laughs) It is all held in stocks and mutual funds and all all that other good stuff. And so, yeah, I, I don't think that's, that's something that people really even realize is that our university is making money from, you know, probably hundreds of other different companies and that they're, the financial success of those companies is tied to our own, even if it's in a small way. It's a pretty interesting thing to think about. <laughs> Yeah, I remember looking a little bit at the endowment when I was doing my senior project on the discourse of sustainability at Cal Poly's campus. And it is very complicated to see where the assets lie in the endowment because it's this collection of mutual funds and bonds. I'm, I've pulled it up right here and I'm sort of scrolling through there. So it just lists uh, cash equivalents, short-term investments just sort of in this broad category uh their endowment investments pledges these sorts of things but no list of like here's all the companies it's just here's our short-term investments 19 million somewhere (laughs) right um the one detail that i could sort of get into a little bit is their mutual bond funds because it lists like here's the hedge fund that's operating this, like you can go like find PIMCO, the company they use and like find who's in that. And the way they work is just so complicated. It's like, it's all these little, the mutual bond fund is this like package of all these slivers of debt. 
including the debt of many energy and oil and coal companies. Less coal recently, at least in these bond funds, thankfully. More natural gas and oil than anything else. But it's packaged with all these other debts. And so I could imagine that getting these organizations to, I don't know, I just can imagine the the amount of paperwork that they're just like, we do not want to do that to sort out what all this is. Um, and so, yeah, it just makes so much sense that the only way to achieve these sorts of goals would be just apply pressure from all sides. Yeah, it is. It is tricky because at least for Cal Poly, we don't have any direct investments in any fossil fuel companies. So we're not saying to Exxon, like, hey, Exxon, like, we think you're doing a great job. Here's $10 million. It's all buried in these mutual funds, which is like a big basket. And you can't just take one company out of the basket. You'd have to sell all your shares in that company. But this is a really good time to be doing this because divestment, fossil fuel divestment movements have been happening both at the institutional level and at people's personal level for years now. And now there's a lot of other mutual fund options, as it turns out, that don't include fossil fuels. And I heard Mm. that just this week from an investor I was talking to, Scott Seacrest, who is local here to Slow and um, works at a business called Natural Investments LLC that specializes entirely in socially responsible investing. And he just put it so well. He's like, mutual funds are like light bulbs. There are a ton of them and it is so easy to unscrew one and screw in another. (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. Because when I was when I was sort of going through these things and trying to figure out like, you know, what would it take to get all this stuff out? I was talking to a friend of mine who is studying finance. He's like, yeah, it would just be so challenging. And the whole point of these things is like to invest in the whole market. And if you invest in the whole market, because that's the idea behind the thing, right? Is like the market as a as a a generalization sort of acts in a certain way and hopefully all these things are increasing in value over time. But that's kind of a lie is what it sounds like you're saying is like we don't have to invest in the whole market. Some of the market actually is not very good. And if we in fact don't invest in these not good parts of the market, it actually helps us. It actually does a good thing. Right. Yeah. And actually something that I learned from Scott that really put this argument in perspective for me is he said, and I looked this up later to verify it, he said that of the S&P 500, which is the 500 biggest companies in the United States, which is generally used as like a proxy for basically like all the companies in the United States, he said that of that, the entire energy sector makes up 4% of the value of the entire S&P 500, like the the market value. And I looked it up and it turns out that now, as of January 2021, it's actually less than 3%. So all energy companies in the U.S. make up 2 point something percent, you know, you know, the ones that are in the top 500 make up 2 point something percent of that top 500 value. And so 
basically we are saying take our portfolios from say 100% market representation to 97% market representation and you're still invested in basically the entire market just <laughs> minus the ones <laughs> that may seriously cost you 10 15 years down the road as we transition to a lower carbon economy so in some of the texts that you cited and have sort of been sharing about about your work and the goals and these sorts of things you mentioned this two degree Celsius benchmark and that business as usual doesn't keep us under the two degree Celsius benchmark of global average temperature rising. Why is this benchmark so important? I've heard it mentioned, you know, all sorts of different places. NPR stories are talking about it. Various humanities scholars who are talking about, you know, trying to use an ecological lens for some of their analysis or, um, it just goes around a lot, this two degrees Celsius number. So what is that and why is that number so important? Right. So, yeah, that's an excellent question because it doesn't really mean anything unless you know the meaning behind it. <laughs> and so basically that number was determined by the IPCC, which is the International Panel of Climate something. Ooh. Climate change, intergovernmental panel on climate change. <laughs> Sick. All right. So IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, and it is a group of scientists from all over the world um, who are working with the UN. The group was commissioned by the United Nations to study, okay, how much of a risk is climate change to the world and they have been studying that question for decades now and through so many studies an absurd amount of studies they have found that two degrees celsius which is you know i think about four degrees fahrenheit is the most that our climate can warm in temperature before we start seeing these really nasty destructive effects of climate change. And so to be clear, we cannot avoid all of the effects of climate change. It's too late for that. But we can avoid the ones that, you know, really threaten our lives in a really significant way. But clock is ticking. <laughs> so yeah, two degrees is kind of that tipping point a little bit because you have all of these effects that are runaway effects. So when enough of the sea ice melts in the Arctic, for instance, the white color of the ice actually reflects um, some sunlight away from the earth. But once you lose that, you know, you're losing something that helps prevent climate change. So then the pace is going to accelerate. So there's a lot of those mechanisms in the natural world that make it so that we really get this runaway once we're past a certain point. So this goal of divestment might sound so hard and complicated and challenging, but in some of your literature, uh, you talk about how all these different groups have already done that, including the UC system. They have divested from fossil fuels entirely. When did they do that? The UC system actually this year announced that they were 
completely done with their divestment, which is super exciting. And, you know, there's actually almost 200 other educational institutions, so universities and colleges in the world that have committed to divesting from fossil fuels. And in total, like 1400 institutions that includes, you know, churches, governments, philanthropies, museums, pension funds, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, A big one just about a month ago was that the New York State Pension Fund divested from fossil fuels, which was just like an absurd amount of money. They're like the biggest pension fund in the U.S. besides California. And that was like, wow. (laughs) And, you know, pension funds are really conservative investors and that like they're not trying to take risks. They're not trying to, you know, invest in startups and then threaten the (laughs) threaten the retirement funds of millions of state workers. So that was a really big statement. But I mean, some of the other universities that have divested already is Brown, Cornell, George Washington, Boston University, University of Hawaii, University of Illinois, University of Vermont, like there's so many. (laughs) Wow. So all of this is going on. And in California, we have the CSU system. And one of the points that you note is that the CSU has a chance to be a leader if they choose to divest. I'm curious why you make that appeal. Why is a why would the CSU like to be a leader? I mean, it seems sort of like it just makes sense as far as I see this. I'm like, oh yeah, of course the CSU would like to be a leader. But why why is that one of the 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 points that you sort of expound upon? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And I think I was really trying to think of ways kind of to make this not just about me and my demands, but something that is also a personal consideration to an extent of the people making this decision like the board of trustees. I mean, 2020 was obviously a really tough year for every kind of institution and I think that divesting from fossil fuels would be something to be really proud of, something to call home about for sure, and some really good press for the CSU. And as the biggest four-year university in the United States, we have a really loud voice. (laughs) And a lot of money. Yeah, and a lot of money. And us shaming the fossil fuel industry and adding our voice to so many others it's a really big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. This is another, another point that you mentioned that I think is really, really interesting. The argument that it is hypocritical to advocate for divestment all the while we're all still driving around in our cars. Some of us may still be eating meat. Um, sort of doing all these actions that at the individual level are like, well, you know, that's not very sensitive. That's not very, you know, carbon, that's not very carbon neutral, these sorts of things. Like how could, how dare you have the audacity to advocate for these sorts of positions while you're still living these lives? And I thought that your response to that was very sensitive and clever, that we live in a world of dependence in 2021, but that the goal is that by 2030, we live in a different sort of world. We have created a world where our dependences of today are not our dependences of tomorrow. 
And I think this point on the difference between individual and structural action is just so crucial because I think so much of the debate on climate change rotates on these points of individual action that it's about you giving up the things in your life that you like to do. You need to drive less. You need to ride your bike more. And I mean, for a lot of people, myself included, I love riding my bike. I would love to be able to live in a city where I didn't have to drive my car to work. That would be amazing. And I've, I have lived in those sorts of places, and it's terrific. But that so much of the perpetuation of these structures occurs at the institutional level, where, in, where huge organizations have invested their money to sort of perpetuate and continue these sorts of industries. And it really, this individual focus is kind of uh, an avoidance of these real problems. And so I'm curious, in your environmental science education, and as you dig into these sorts of things, where you've seen the focus on individual action versus structural change and like how do we how do we sort of square these forces that often feel like they're dueling for you know what's the real solution Mm, yeah such a good point and yeah I do think that we hold some responsibility as consumers but really beyond our actions in what we consume is like how we communicate to the people who are producing what we consume and to our governments that are regulating that and passing laws that favor and not favor certain things like it's really not a coincidence that it's really hard to not use fossil fuels in 2021 and I mean like take electric cars like the field is changing and the outlook is changing for electric vehicles now, but 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it was really hard to not burn fossil fuels as you were driving to work. And that's not a coincidence. <laughs> um, there's this documentary called Who Killed the Electric Car that talks about how we could have had electric cars decades ago. Um, but it was not profitable because they have so much, so much fewer moving parts and they wouldn't need to be taken in for maintenance as often and there wouldn't really be any money made to be made from it. So it got, it got scrapped. <laughs> and, wow. Interesting. Yeah. And so that's actually something I'd like to learn more about and really just the influence of lobbying in general and because I mean I don't want to get too political but the fossil fuel industry has a lot of money and there is really this cycle of making money and putting that into lobbying you know lobbying that's hundreds of millions of dollars and it's like okay where where does that hundreds of millions of dollars go like where, what could the effects of that be? And the effects of that are really, (laughs) you know, tax cuts and legislation that benefits the fossil fuel industry and a real kind of blocking of legislation that favors things that are not oil and gas and coal. And 
I mean, I think it's easy to really get in a get angry at our elected officials. But I mean, if someone offered you like $10 million, like <laughs> to, to not even to do something, but just like not do something like, oh, like, you know, like just forget about this certain bill. Like that's really tempting for like the vast majority of humans. <laughs> and yeah. so, but basically it's, it's not a coincidence that it is so hard to avoid fossil fuels now and both things need to happen we need to get off of our usage of fossil fuels and we need to stop investing in them and so it's not hypocritical to divest while still using them because you know they have to both occur like one of them has to occur first and for me I think it makes more sense for the divestment to occur first because like we're not investing to make money in February of 2021. We're trying to make money in February of 2031. Right. Yeah, I think a great example of this is really local. The Measure G that was on the ballot in 2018 and looking at the funding. Yeah, I think Chevron poured like $8 million into the campaign yeah, everybody, all all the normal actors that you would have expected to line up opposed to this, they did and shut it down compared to the very minimal funds that grassroots activism is often, often has access to. Yeah, I remember thinking that that was just crazy, like that I didn't, you know, I thought this operated on a national level, not in my little city or county of San Luis Obispo. I was just shocked. That was like the first time that I really realized I was like, oh shit, like this is a problem. And like the ads that they were running were not truthful. They were saying like this measure would lose us current jobs, which is just not true at all. The measure was to ban future fracking, I believe, but it wouldn't have any impact on current operations. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here it is. Chevron, yeah, was $4 million, And then a series of other uh, resources and energy companies invested somewhere between, you know, just shy of a million dollars and $2 million, uh, collecting $8 million opposed to something like $40,000 that the Yes on G people had. Just bonkers. And this was this was the case with the the Uber and Lyft employment employment bill, and it's interesting because they're sort of like one step removed from like immediate resource extraction, but Uber and Lyft still re- rely you know intensely on fossil fuels because everybody's just driving around and you know doing their thing in their cars, and th- they also spent I don't know I think what was it like. 35 or 40 million dollars keeping their contractors from getting the benefits of being employees and yeah just insane it's like any attempt to move counter to the the desires and whims of these these powers in the world the odds will always be stacked against you at least on the terrain of money in a really really troublesome way which is unfortunate because, as you've shown, 
these are not the most profitable sectors of the economy that an endowment should be investing in. Right. And actually, one more thing I just wanted to add to that is just that it is so hard to make this progress because, you know, the CEOs of these fossil fuel companies make, you know, around $20 million a year. And that when you divide that out, that makes, you know, what they're making per day is like probably what I'll be making in an entire year. I was just thinking the other day, I was like, you know what, like, I mean, I'm not getting paid to do this. And I'm privileged enough that I'm in a financial position where I can do that for a few months. But I was just like, wow, if anyone from the fossil fuel company, like, like wanted to pay me it would just be like such a such a drop in that bucket (laughs) right yeah like pay you to stop doing your work and stop making noise yeah like hey here's 50 here's 50 grand like just shut up for the rest of the year right and like fortunately i'm financially independent enough that there's like not anything that would make me stop doing this but i'm like Wow, like the the ability to hush people is just just so vast. <laughs> For sure. So, okay, this was another point that you mentioned that I thought was really really interesting, something I did not know. In 2018, the fossil fuel industry would not have made a profit if it was not for the 20 billion dollars in production subsidies from the government that year so what what does that mean what's what's going on here i've heard similar things about tesla as well that they would not make a profit each year if it was not for the production subsidies for electric vehicles right now but this is also occurring in the fossil fuel industry so can you take this apart for us anymore yeah really at the heart of it is that fossil fuel companies get to pollute without paying for it. You know, like when we, and that's not true of anyone else. Like when we buy gas for our cars, we pay for that gas and we pay additional taxes, um, you know, kind of like excise taxes, like especially in the state of California, our taxes are, are higher because there's a impact on the rest of the society for that purchase. But fossil fuel companies do not have to pay any sort of carbon tax for all the carbon that they're putting into the atmosphere and all of the taxpayer money that we are going to have to pay to mitigate these climate effects. And, you know, like the longer we wait, the more expensive it is. Like prevention is always so much cheaper than mitigation. And so it's just insane, you know, like just due to due to that history of lobbying, um, the conditions are just so favorable for them. And if they were actually selling their product at a price that would reflect what taxpayers will have to pay due to the detriments of their business, it would not be profitable. (laughs) And the downside of that is also that we would not be really driving, you know, like no one would pay for gas if 
it was $10 a gallon, say, we would definitely have different strategies. And some people would say it hurts disadvantaged people if fossil fuel companies were paying were paying that. But that's really why why this all why this all needs to shift. <laughs> hmm. So you think a potential to decrease the demand on fossil fuels would be or would do you think the price would raise because taxes on these industries would increase or would it be at a government level like the state of California increasing the tax on gas to make the price a sort of um, like artificially inflated $10 a gallon? Mm, yeah, see, I don't think that that is really like viable just yet because we don't really have good alternatives. Like it's really expensive to buy an electric vehicle. Like a lot of areas yeah. don't really have um, good public transportation. So that's why by divesting, we are cutting off like some of the capital to these companies and either forcing them to take other avenues to continue their business, um, such as renewable energies or, you know, giving other people, other companies the opportunity to say, oh, hey, like we can move in here and kind of like fill fill this gap like fossil fuels don't fossil fuel companies now don't have enough money to you know serve this need we can serve that need in a much more sustainable way so that's like (laughs) i guess kind of an upside of capitalism um but you know the government and what the government chooses to support and not support also you know just has such a huge impact (laughs) yeah steps towards this overarching goal of getting the the whole csu system to divest from their their fossil fuel shares can you talk a little bit about what those steps along the way are to that sort of overarching goal right yeah so we're really imagining it like a staircase and that getting like you said that overarching goal of the board of trustees passing that mandate is at the top of the stairs. But like I said, some of those things would be to push for resolutions at other schools in the CSU, um, at the academic Senate and the student governments and, you know, kind of getting endorsements from different student clubs. If I could get some like prominent people to make endorsements, that would be awesome. Um, we want to make a website and, you know, feature those on the website, have like a really professional look. Like we're organized. We're doing what it takes to get this, that kind of thing. And really just like spreading the word to as many students as possible to get involved. Because even just if we wanted to set the goal of saying like, okay, we want to present this resolution at all of the ASI governments and all of the academic senates. The academic senate, by the way, is like the group of professors, basically like the professor's voice at the university. And it's like, okay, you multiply two times 23 campuses, you're looking at like 46 different groups. And so finding other people um, who are stoked on the campaign and want to help is really 
kind of the foundation of achieving any of these. Yeah. And one of the criteria for how this might happen or how this should happen is accountability for these goals, which I think is huge and I think would have positive ramifications for many other divestment initiatives, whether it's from military contracts or defense companies or all these other sort of moneyed interests that have serious stock in these universities and what sort of education students are getting. So this accountability, what what would this what would this look like? Yeah, and I I totally agree with you there. You know, like we're saying that you can't tell us that you're gonna divest unless you're able to prove it, right? Otherwise it's just an empty statement. And so like one way of doing that would be like a quarterly list of the funds and companies that each campus invest in. And that's maybe not even, it doesn't even have to be available to the public. It just needs to be available to students and like um, folks in the university. Because right now it's not. There is no list. Yeah. And yes, like some schools are transparent about their investments, um, but most are really not. Most are really not. Cal Poly is lock tight, not a, not a, not a whisper of where this endowment is located. Yeah, like the only reason that I know that it's like 15 to 20 million in the Cal Poly endowment is because I was forwarded an email chain from Jeffrey Armstrong (laughs) that said that it was 15 to 20 million. (laughs) Dang. Yeah. So yeah, you can't, you can't just Google that. (laughs) And so you're right. Like it will be a lot easier in the future. And I really, I guess I'll say I really had like kind of a dilemma when I was first starting this of like, Oh, like, should I also try to like bundle in, like divest from tobacco, like divest from the prison industrial uh, complex, like defense contracts. Like you said, like there's so many places that I don't want our money to be supporting, but I think I really just decided to focus on fossil fuels as something that I saw was like really attainable and that like hopefully you're right like if we get this accountability mechanism it'll be way few way easier in the future for other divestment movements to say hey we know that you have 50 million dollars in these companies that are really bad (laughs) and you know go from there and I see I see like a whole whole nother staircase of progress in that department hopefully I just I love the statement they have what do they say we'd like to think most of the questions you might have regarding the Cal Poly Foundation are addressed here if not please don't hesitate to contact us this is on the Cal Poly Foundation page with details on the endowment and so then you go over to the endowment and you're like, okay, what's what are the investments? What is what's going on? <laughs> so the this is this is the best this is the best you can get, the closest you can get to the to what's going on. At June thirtieth, twenty twenty, investments comprise the following: just a list of these things: fixed income from bonds, and then notes receivable, and then mutual funds split into equity funds, bond funds, money market funds. And then other investments, partnership interests, and alternative investments, all of which somehow make up $309 million. No further details of (laughs) any companies, 
not a lick of transparency. Just like, yeah, there's some equity bonds, there's some equity funds, there's some bond funds, there's some money market, you know, somewhere in the ballpark, uh, $200 million. We don't really, uh, it's like, yeah, I, if you have any other questions, I th- we think we provide a great be- deal of transparency. <laughs> we think all this is the information you never want to need. Like, what are you saying? Yeah, and plus that just makes your eyes glaze over. <laughs> yeah, and it just, it's, there's just, it's no, this is not, this is not information. These are just a list of numbers that add up to a total. Uh, it's just ridiculous. And then the, the first time I read this, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> How little transparency is in this document. Like, are you joking? Yeah, and it's because the endowment is here for us, you know? It's here for students, professors, mm-hmm. faculty, and anyone who's going to be attending the university in years to come like we deserve to have a say in it we deserve to at least know like you said where it's at yeah so what's going what 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 is happening going forward i'd love for you to talk about what the future holds for the next few months for you where you would like people who are interested in your work to get connected with what you're doing how people can sign up for an email list to get the latest updates on how they can get involved, all those sorts of things. Yeah, mm, thank you for asking. So I guess where we're at right now is that we just finished um, first drafts for resolutions in support of divestment for the Cal State Student Association and for the Cal Poly Academic Senate. And they just need some minor edits and then they can be passed along to other universities And that's really awesome because then you're not reinventing the wheel. You're not spending, you know, 10 hours (laughs) writing a very carefully cited document. You're just like, hey, here's this document. Like, present this to these groups and it gets a lot easier. And so that, yeah, that, that was really exciting to finish the first drafts of those resolutions. And... We are having our first meeting in, well, I'm not sure when this will go, when this will go up, but our first meeting is February 8th, Monday from 6 to 7 p.m. on Zoom. And we're meeting, if you can't make that one, we're meeting Monday evenings every week thereafter. And that first meeting will be a really good kickoff, introductory presentation about what we're doing why we're doing it, you know, how you can be a part of it. We really want it to be a campaign that is owned by the people who are in it, not just, you know, Lisa and what Lisa wants. Like, no, like we want our (laughs) values. We want our values and priorities and approaches to be a product of the ownership of all of the people who are working on it. So that's just kind of an aside. But if you are interested in divestment at all or know anyone who is, like, please feel free to share the word as much as possible. And Paul, I can give you the links to join our email list, like you mentioned, which will have, you know, just like weekly updates on the meetings, on what we're doing, all that good stuff. And then our Slack group will be the main place to get that communication in an even easier way 
and I will give you the link to that Slack also. Um, and we also have an Instagram account. And that Instagram is at divest the CSU, one word, divest the, and then the letters. CSU. Yeah, I was really excited actually that um, that name was open, that like no one else <laughs> has tried to use divest the CSU for, you know, any sort of other purposes, whether it's at, you know, Cal State Universities or like Colorado State University <laughs> or anything like that. Right. So that was lucky. Yeah, it's kind of, I'm, I, it's a little surprising. It's like you would have hoped somebody would have been running an Instagram campaign to divest something from somebody. Like, come on. Yeah. I mean, I just have so much respect for any students who are involved in just any sort of activism or clubs just just all that kind of stuff while still being a student like you are awesome like I worked on all this stuff for like you know like probably like 40 hours last week I could have never done this as a student like there's a reason I waited until now so if you're if you're doing that kind of work and you are also working another job you are also going to class you're also going to class and working another job like wow I just admire you so much (laughs) (laughs) and then in the link in your instagram bio and we'll i'll put all of this in the show notes for people to to get to where they need to be you have a campaign uh through go fossil free to divest the csu from fossil fuels where people can sign a petition as well yes yeah please check out that petition and if that could get in you know, the thousands of signatures, maybe even the tens of thousands of signatures like that could also be a really significant piece of the puzzle in like building that public pressure, like saying to the board of trustees, like this is something people want. And there's also a really nice letter. I mean, maybe it's not nice, a really uh, (laughs) compelling letter that I wrote that accompanies that petition has some good stats in it and some good reasons to divest. Oh, yeah. I was curious if you found any other universities with greater transparency with their endowments or if it's just sort of a standard that like, eh, we're not going to really talk about it. Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't looked into other universities um, endowments that much besides that I looked at a couple, I looked for a couple other CSUs. Um, kind of just to confirm that I like wasn't going crazy that I like couldn't understand like <laughs> whether the Cal Poly's yeah whether Cal Poly's was like actually telling me anything meaningful or not. <laughs> um, and so I remember actually looking at Humboldt State has a lot more transparency of like exactly what like mutual funds and stuff like that they divest in. But I do also believe that Humboldt has like already made divestment commitments or that they have made like fossil way way more aggressive like fossil fuel commitments um and stuff like that so humble is a pretty progressive campus so go humble <laughs> but i do think that a lack of transparency is the standard yeah their endowment is also a tenth of the size of cal poly's yeah yeah <laughs> 30 million versus upwards of 300 um yeah i'll have to check this out and then just a point for our own sort of institutional affiliations the uh, denomination that Front Porch is connected with, the Presbyterian Church USA, there has been there have been movements on divestment over the last, um, from what I'm aware, over the last 
five years in 2016 and 2018. I knew they were both campaigns. Um, and at the institutional level, they have always voted against divestment from fossil fuels. So just a point of clarification for our own institutional affiliations and that there is room for progress right here with the organizations that Front Porch associates itself with. And we hope for we hope to do better, obviously. Yeah, I really appreciate you, Paul, bringing that up and, you know, not calling out necessarily in a blaming way, but saying, hey, like, here's an opportunity. And I would really like to expand that to everyone listening. Like, yeah, I just learned from doing this work that religious organizations like churches are, you know, like involved <laughs> in the stock market. Right. And so like, think, oh, yeah. Yeah. So like, think about, you know, the organizations and institutions, like, even like philanthropies and like nonprofits, like they store their money somewhere. Um, so like the first thing to do is just like, look into it, like ask, like, I don't know, just kind of have that, have that curious mindset. And like, like I said, like, there have been thousands of institutions that have divested already. Like it's actually a fairly, I don't want to say easy, but easier campaign to start than others because there's just so many resources online. There's so many people that have done it already. You just like search on Instagram, like fossil free, and you just come up with all these fossil free clubs at other schools and other stuff like that. So yeah. And please feel free to reach out to me. Um, Paul will have my personal email in the um, show description. It's pretty easy. It's just divest to CSU at gmail.com. Well, that's not my personal. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the one I'm using um, for this project. But yeah, if you want any resources or to talk at all about starting your own campaign, like feel free, just reach out. Everybody, please go to this meeting Monday, February 8th. It'll be like four, let's see. It'll be like five days. It'll be five days after when we when we put this out. So check that out. Divest the CSU. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on today. This has been great. And I wish you only the best on this on this journey. Thank you so much, Paul. And I guess my last note will be I can give you the Zoom link to the meeting also. And that, that Zoom link will also be for available easily um, on the Instagram and on the email list and on the slack so hopefully when it's 5 59 on monday evening you will know where to go <laughs> to get that information so every monday yeah every monday yeah. thereafter all right perfect so whenever you listen to this get on the zoom monday at six in the link the link does not change the link does not change same every time <laughs> all right thank you so much lisa thank you paul oh!